Good morning. Psalm 29, verse 2 says, Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. If you have any prayer requests, fill out the slip in the bulletin, pass it in during the offering. And, of course, we have many Bible studies going on. See, I missed that page. Okay, it's down further. I can't remember what I did the last service. Every week, the shelf in the lobby is for you to drop off food donations, which will be taken to Wichita ICT, Treehouse Ministries, is other, other, our other partnership ministry. There's the schedule. Uh, of course, there's Sunday school for the adults going on right now over in room 303. IHOP Bible studies are Monday at 7.30 in the morning. Women's study, first Monday of the month. Not until September. Oh, not until September. Yeah. Okay, I'll correct that next time. Men's Tuesday morning study, though, 7.30 in the sanctuary, and the Manshed Bible studies, Wednesday and Friday at 6. Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Blessed assurance. Steve, I'm jumping on you there. Sorry. Habits. Blessed Assurance was written by Fanny Crosby in 1873 after hearing a melody written by her friend Phoebe Knapp. For most hymns, the texts were written first and then set to music later, in some cases years later. Since this hymn was written upon hearing this melody, it is difficult to accurately relate the words to a particular scripture. However, the hymnal Hymns for the Living Church lists Psalm 46, verse 2 as a reference for this hymn. It says, I will sing praise unto my God while I have any being. As you're able, please rise and join us as we open our worship with blessed assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the this is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight, angels descending, bring above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy 
is love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day be seated. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Join me now in our common prayer of confession. Almighty God, we come to you confessing the times we have given in to the temptations of the world around us. There were thoughts that entered our minds that we entertained rather than pushing them aside, and they caused us to stumble and fall. There were places and people we know we should have avoided because they stimulate our minds into picking up and using old sinful patterns. Instead, we didn't, and we reverted back to them. There were certain temptations we built a wall around, but it seemed they found another opportune time to bring us down. O oh Lord, forgive us and help us gain victory over our sins and temptations. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this week from Ephesians 1. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all of our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ. And our guidelines for living from Ephesians 4. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Don't grieve God, don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Once again, as you're able, please rise and join us as we continue our worship. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me. Because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be? You, my King, should die for me. Amazing love. 
joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. us 
And if our God is for us, then who could stand against men? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is for us, then who could stand against? Who could stand against? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God, our God. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. Keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, and you are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are here, turning lives around.
Take My Life and Let It Be was written by Francis Havergal in 1874 and set to a tune written in 1827 by Henry A. Cesar Milan. The theme for this familiar hymn comes from 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the blessing of life. For all the things that you give us, Lord, we're so grateful. We pray now, Lord, use these gifts for your glory and bless these people as they give them for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise, let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Swift and beautiful for Thee, swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at Thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be into the presence of the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be in your presence today and to bring our hearts and our desires and our struggles to you in prayer. We thank you, God, for being such an awesome God that's given us a great country and the many blessings that we have and how blessed we are as Americans. And I praise you, God, too, for the opportunities that we have been afforded we just pray that you will give our leaders the wisdom to continue to carry on this great tradition, Lord, and especially from the early fathers who look to you for wisdom and strength and guided us. We right now, Lord, are in such a turbulent time and when there's so much social unrest and so many things being changed and wanting to slip um, uh, away from the Judeo-Christian heritage. We pray that the church will rise up and be strong. We pray for revival, God, and we pray for change to take place. 
I pray, Heavenly Father, too, for those wonderful men and women who every day go out into our world to protect our country, to protect our democracy, to protect us in this city and in the county, Lord, and protect us from violence that continues to occur. We pray about that in our society today, especially among the young, Lord. It's just so tragic. We just pray, Father God, that you will help us get the word out, that you'll soften the hearts of men and women and young people to hearing the gospel and making the changes that the gospel calls for. We know, Jesus, it's very hard to live the way you call us as we've been going through the Beatitudes and we see what it takes to be a disciple. It's tough. We thank you too, Lord, that we're not alone and that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and strengthen us and help us through the everyday flaws in our own being as sinners and giving us victory over them, Jesus. Today, we also want to lift up to you our shut-ins for Bill, for Lucille, for Joyce, for Karen. We pray for them, Lord, as they sit home and desire so much to be here. We praise you, Lord God, too, and we thank you for being by their side in those sad and quiet times. We pray also those who are in the battle with cancer. We think of Everett and Todd and Angie and Samantha and Jason and Jordan, all these, Lord, who have the battle going on. We pray also for Joe in our Bible study the Tuesday mornings that lost his daughter in murder this past week in Riverside. We just pray for him and their family and the whole difficulties that they've been going through with that. I pray also, too, for Bob, who burns family and who has passed away this past week. Be with them and bring them comfort and strength. We pray also, too, Father God, for Nick as he prepares to go on his surgery. We pray, Lord, that everything goes well. We also pray for Mr. Mack, one of our teachers at the school that is battling cancer. I pray also, too, Father, for those who are battling addictions. We think of Jordan and Ryan and David and Ricky and Eric and Mitch and Russell, all of them who have difficulties in their life. We pray that you will help them to see it's Christ and not their addiction. We pray for a friend's daughter, too, who, uh, Lord, is just going through very difficult health problems right now. And they're not sure what the problem is. Lord, I just pray that she'll, they'll figure that out, Father. And, Father, now we pray for your Holy Spirit to be upon us as we hear from your word today. We're going through this Ten Commandments. Uh, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount have been difficult because there are things here that we know we all struggle with. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for your guidance, though, to call us to a whole different form of righteousness. Not a righteousness that is just from the outside, but it's inside of our hearts. I pray, Lord Jesus, now that you'll be with us as we receive from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. She had come to know Christ earlier that year. And she had just been married. She had started coming to our church. 
And she went to visit a friend and they met at a restaurant near our church. And as they finished their time, as the gal that she was with was single and saw a guy in the bar and wanted to reacquaint herself with him, she went home because her husband was coming home from work. As Ellen headed to her car in the parking lot, they had a car that was an old Chevy Nova that things didn't work on it and things did. But her husband needed the car because he had a long trip that day and he needed a good car and so she took it in the back, one of the back doors, the lock wasn't really stable. As she approached the car, she opened the front door and she was pushed by a man of about 200 pounds. And as he pushed her across the seat, he was trying to grab her keys. And as she felt from the back seat, another person pushing her face into the front seat with a knife then to her neck, he said, do not scream. She remembered how she laid there and was praying to the Lord for deliverance. She could remember seeing as she was trying to find markings from the windows of the cars and lights. And she remembers saying she stole the steeple of our church. And then she remembers getting on the highway and being taken down Route 80 to another place where they got off. And she remembers seeing the jail, Bergen County Jail. Then the place where the USS um, <clears throat> uh, submarine was um, and uh, Ying Ling, it's called the Ling. And then they pulled down this dark road. And then in the back seat of the car, they can assaulted her. From about 9.30, they figured to about 2 o'clock that morning. She laid there helpless, praying to God for deliverance. And she was laying in the back playing dead when they were on the front trunk of her car drinking, talking about how they were going to dispose of her. At that point, she prayed for God to give her the strength to be able to have enough strength to run. She slipped very quietly with her naked body and bare feet and ran. She ran towards the road, River Road, which was right up the street about a block. They did not discover her until she was almost to the intersection. A couple cars passed her thinking she was a crazy woman, but one car stopped. A Hispanic man who was on his way home from a double shift that he had done. He took her into the car and drove her to the police station, which was only two blocks away. The ordeal, though, did not end there. For the next several months, as the trial was moving, it, she received phone calls, threats. She also was dealing with an STD that she never had. And that also, she was still dealing with the flashbacks. When the court trial began, of course, they brought several people. People from her past that remember as a promiscuous pot-smoking kid in high school. But now that was gone from her life. But the defense attorney used that well. 
He continued to build this case that basically this was not a girl who was kidnapped and sexually assaulted, but that she was in a threesome and she got tired of it and then yelled help. During that time, their brothers and husband and dad were not allowed in the courtroom. They sequestered them down stairs because the prosecutor was afraid that violence would start in the, in the courtroom. They had two weeks earlier a man whose daughter had that happened to, and he came from the country of Hungary at the time with a gun and shot the perpetrator right in the hallway at the courthouse. And then the defense put up all these people and then they put her on the stand last. The young man who was the one guy that was caught out of the two sat there and grinned and sat back and was basically pretty disgusting. And the defense attorney just turned her inside and out from everything that she wore to the kind of person who was trying to push that she was promiscuous. And let me tell you something. It was very hard for me to sit there and not want to seek revenge and retaliation and to do something to this young man. Jesus comes to us today, talking to us as disciples again. And if you remember, he started out with the third person about our blessedness. Then he talked from the second person that we're the salt of the earth. And then from the first person, if you remember, dealing with murder, even by the way we speak. Talked about lust on the way we look upon women. He talked about marriage and divorce. He talked about vows last week. And now today, he talks about revenge and retaliation. And in this sermon, Jesus is going to deal with the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Many people use this. And it was for years out of the code of Hammurabi, even a hundred years before Moses, that it was used. Tit for tat. You hurt me, you deserve to get hurt on the same level. This was the law. And Jesus is coming to us and saying to us that we're not to use this as our personal revenge. That yes, justice needs to be served in the world, but it's not ours to do it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees used this as their opportunity to get people back and to hurt them when they've been hurt, to retaliate. But Jesus says that's not what it's for. And Jesus comes to us today speaking the truth and trying to get us to understand what a disciple does with this. How we as disciples handle the law. And that are we to defend ourselves? Are we to protect our families? Are we to retaliate? Jesus comes to us and he differentiates and we see that with Martin Luther tries to get us to see that when there's the personal justice and that there's the public justice and that the Bible shows us that the law is very important 
God knew sinners. That when man fell, that they need the law to keep them from hurting each other, keep us from hurting each other. He gave us this law in which he talked about how ceremonial law was to show us our need for Christ and the blood to be shed so our sins could be washed away. In the Old Testament with Moses, he also talked in Leviticus about civil law and how civil law needs to be established so that we don't continue to hurt one another. And then he also talks about moral law and how we're supposed to live. God brought that all together because of mankind's sinfulness. It's the same way where our government is split up into three divisions. Why is that so? Why do we have the executive branch? Why do we have the congressional branch? Why do we have the judicial branch? Because the balance is needed because sometimes these one group of people will get out of hand and they need balance from other sides. And that all came from the Old Testament as our forefathers put the Constitution together. Well, God also brought the law because we are sinful people. And that we need instruction. And there's certain things as disciples that we can do. And there's certain things we can't. And as Jesus comes to us, he talks to us and his disciples about this whole idea of retaliation. And how we're to deal with when somebody hurts us. When somebody hurts our loved one. And let me tell you, it's hard when we have somebody who doesn't get fair justice. That little girl that I spoke to you about, one of the hardest things is when the jury went out and they... Came back three days later with a hung jury. One person would not vote to convict. And because of that, they're going to have to do the whole thing all over again. And she said, I can't. She was devalued spiritually and physically and mentally. And as they tried to coax her, she just couldn't do it. And let me tell you, there was a lot of frustration, a lot of angry feelings, even to this day inside my own soul. But today Jesus talks to me and to all of us about retaliation. And that how God has given us this law of eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth for government to do. And that's why we need to pray for our prosecutors. And we need to pray for the justice system so that justice is truly served out. And we all know that right now in our country, there are, I'm, I'm so grateful that we have a great prosecutor by the name of Mark Bennett, who's a man of God, who loves the Lord. And every once in a while, I'll send him that I'm praying for him, especially when he's dealing with a tough case. And he needs our prayers. Because there are people out there that they have to deal with. And bring the case in tight so that nobody can get and wiggle their way out. That case with that little girl was so angry because some believed that that one juror was bought. And we wouldn't put it behind the family that was behind that young man. And today the Bible speaks to us. and says, as Jesus' disciples, 
We know that the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that in Deuteronomy, look what it says. You shall, your eye shall not pity. It, it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, this is where Jesus has taken us today. He tells us that we can't and we shouldn't as Christians allow our passions to get to us, that we get our pound of flesh out of people, that we do not retaliate when we're wronged, but that we deal with it in the court system and that we do what is right. And that we do the right thing because we're of a different nature. We're of a different cut. And one of the sad parts about this is there are people, what Jesus says today, misuse what he says. Those who say, well, I have the right to go make them pay. And Jesus is not saying that. The Bible does not say that. God has set up perimeters so that we don't take revenge. But there's also a part of us that some people will say, well, I have to be pacifist. And I can't take action for just." No, that's not true. There are groups who say that is so. There's groups who say they can't serve in the army because they're pacifist. And Jesus tells them not to strike after evil. But you see, they take that out of context. And in our private lives, no, we're not allowed to. Christ doesn't want us to take vengeance. But that we're to use the system that he's provided. So that justice is served. And that we protect those whom we love. And we don't suffer the abuse that's wrong in God's eyes. And so we understand that the law of retaliation comes with public justice. And that first principle in Jesus' is speaking here about justice. And the hard thing is today, there are some people who get frustrated because the law is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. I'm surprised that we haven't seen more vigilantism. But Jesus here is talking to us. And if somebody's breaking into your house, you have the right to protect yourself. You have the right to stop them. But that we don't act out of anger, maliciousness, passion. But that we react, not as the way the world does, but from our affections for those that we love and care for. And Jesus is going to give us four instances of that. In our passage today. But he also wants us to understand. That. Not like Christopher Hitchens. Who was a journalist. Who wrote that we're deranged. Suicidal. Immoral people. That we don't protect our loved ones. Or Nietzsche. Who says that. Christianity is for the weak. 
and the cowardly, that's not so. But rather, we stand for what is right. But we do it in an attitude of God's affection and love for what is right and just and true. And for those that we love, and we even love our enemy, which is totally out of this world. And that our view is much larger than the world sees it. They just want to get their pound of flesh. And you know as well as I do how easy that is to come to. That situation, it would have been easy for me to come to that. I can remember playing football in college. And I remember I was on the bottom of a pile after I had blocked for somebody. And a defensive back came from the other side of the field and saw my hand. And literally sat, basically stood on it. I got a bump here today from what he did with his spikes on my hand. I think he might have even broken a bone. And my initial reaction was to get up and knock him out. But that wouldn't have done any good. And it wasn't right. But that I had the opportunity when I could to hit him properly and make him understand. And look him in the eye and said, I know what you did. I did that to that guy. And he just smiled. He thought it was got away with something. And that we have to be very careful. You see, the Bible speaks to us. Why are there wars? What causes quarrels? Why? It's because of man's selfishness. Because man wants to retaliate. And Jesus is here speaking to us and says, we need to be different. Now, Jesus had passions because he was human. We have passions. We need to bring them under the lordship of Jesus Christ when it comes to dealing with this. And Paul said it in Acts. He says, we are men by nature like you. Even to the pagans, he's saying that. We have that old nature. That one that can be wanting and greedy. That could be grabbing and lusting and could be angry. That could cause us to do all kinds of wrong. But Jesus shows us when he was tempted. How he lived above that because he followed his father's footsteps of God not reacting with passion. Rather God acts from his affection. But what's generated inside of him and doesn't allow the world to manipulate his reactions. Instead, from his affections of justice, of love, of concern, God doesn't have passions. Like us, he has affections. And what basically controls our God is his greatness towards justice and love and mercy. And in doing so, he is not injured. He is not changed. He's always consistent because he acts out of his affections, his affections of love. Think about it. I know <laughs> I don't deserve to go to heaven. I know 
He should have thrown me away a long time ago if he was driven by his passion. But he's driven by his affection for me and his grace and deliberate choices to love me even when I was unlovable, Romans 5, 8. And Jesus is the expression of that in human form. And that he allows his affections to drive him. Now that happens to us sometimes too, if we know how to do that in certain circumstances. I have two little grand girls that hang at my house with my wife. And I will pick them up and they have these little fingers with little nails. <laughs> and every once in a while, I didn't cut myself shaving, but one of those little girls will go, and guess what? I have a little blood <laughs> on my face. Now, because of my affections and love for that little girl, I don't go into a tirade and yell and scream at her, don't do that to Grandpa. <laughs> I just smile and just love her. Because my affection for her is driving me, not my passion. In another case, I've seen this happen with other people. I have a friend that has a grown son now that's autistic. And he was told by the experts, he was our quarterback when we were in high school, very devoted Christian man, sold real estate and whatnot, but was born a child to him, his only son, autistic. And his son now is in his 20s and is violent at times. And when that child was born and they found out the child was autistic, his wife left him. She said she couldn't handle having him at home. She walked out on their marriage and left Barry with this child. Well, that child is now a big young man, strong. But when that child gets physical and out of control, Barry grabs him and holds him and doesn't react to him from his passions and anger. You can see Barry trying to harness him, lovingly holding him, getting him to calm down. And become more rational again. And it takes a while. But Barry doesn't scream at him and fight with him with rage. He tries to hold him and, and bring him into. And he does all with his affection. Because he loves that son. And Jesus is calling us as Christians. To not react as our passions, trying to get the pound of flesh, but that we're to react with our passion of affection, of love for God. And that our affections train us to respond appropriate to these 
actions. Not trying to kill people. Not trying to get our pound of flesh. But instead, just loving them. And that we take the initiative. He takes the initiative. When he starts seeing them get agitated, he gets right into it. Because he knows that if he doesn't act too soon, there's going to be a boiling over. Jesus basically worked with his passions. As a human being, Jesus did have. But he worked at it from his affections of love for people. We saw Jesus. When he saw evil, he got angry. He took action. When he saw that there were people in the synagogue selling goods for people to sacrifice and charging them extra money so that they could make a good buck out of it and extorting people, Jesus got upset. He turned the tables over to get their attention to say, look at what you're doing. You're taking God's house which is to be a place of sacrifice and love to God, and you're making it a den of thieves because you're ripping the very brothers and sisters off that you shouldn't. So Jesus got upset with that. But Jesus worked out of his affections too, of his love. His love for those people who were making the religious system of sacrifice a sinful matter and destroying it. You see, this is the way Jesus calls us to do. And that we, in a society that we need to pray and we need to vote for, to get people in like our DA, Mark Bennett. In other areas of the country where these DAs are just letting people go, that's not right. The government's responsibility is to make people account. And not to do evil. And that they are supposed to basically lead and execute the work of the law. And that Jesus here is intentional to us. And he says to us that we need to stand for what is right. Yes. But we also need to move with the affection of God as we do that. And that we stand for right in a society that wants to say everything that we have brought in the past is wrong. We need to say no. God's way is right. And they will say to you, who says? And we should be willing to say, God says so. Because you see what's going on in our society today. We have a group of people who think that this Judeo-Christian thing needs to be thrown out. And what we need to do is make up our own laws to make it better. And it's being done. And they're saying their way. And that the Bible tells us in Proverbs, Proverbs 25, 26, it says, Like muddled, muddied spring 
or a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way to the wicked. We're not to give way to the wicked. And we are to promote justice in the land. And we are to stand for what is right. And stand against for what is wrong. I got jacked up this past week, to be honest with you. I'm waiting for my affections to work my response. The University of Chicago, a new course is given in their religious studies called the Querying God. That the Jews, the Christians, the Muslims, the Islamics need to understand that God is queer. This is what is going on. And we need to stand against this. Because these as being fed by people. And I went to college. I know what it was like. That first day when we began that religion class. That was response where we had to go to. For our, our, our Christian college that we were into. These young men and women loved this liberal guy who was trying to pull down everything and say everything that was wrong with the Bible. And the reason why they were doing it because they were in rebellion against their parents and had the first freedom of their life. And they were going to do everything opposite what their parents taught them. And he was just feeding their chain. And it was wrong. And when I stood up against him, he didn't like it at all. In fact, I was told I, I had to sequester me. I wasn't allowed to talk in class and ask questions. Because he didn't want anybody to stand up against him. This is what's happening in our society today. And that's why Jesus calls us to do it the right way. Let our affections drag us. Let our affections of love and, and mercy and peace drive us so that they can fall on their knees before an almighty God who truly loves them. Jesus gives us these examples that are incredible. He says to us, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now some people misinterpret this and say, Oh, you know, you're not supposed to resist. That is not what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about a particular situation in that day that when people would get up and share their belief system in the courts, yards, or at the town meetings, and somebody didn't like what you said, they would stand up to you and smack you in the face. Now, some of you have watched this new sport, slap contest. And there are people, grown people, who are in contest of hauling off and giving one person a smack. And they pull out their mouth guard if they're not knocked out and smile because now it's their turn to retaliate. And this is actually a sport that people get knocked out and get hurt. And then the other person gets his chance to really haul off and whack that person across the desk about this big. 
And Jesus says here, when that person, you give your viewpoint and somebody smacks you and insults you, and that's what it was. It was an insult that we're comfortable as Christians in Christ that we don't fear being insulted or being put down because we know the truth. And Jesus is telling us, give them the other cheek also. Let them have the backhand. Because you know the truth. And the truth sets you free. And they're striving so hard to make their argument right because they want to feel secure and they're not going to be. In fact, they're going to lose the battle. Because when it comes to God's eternal law, it doesn't change. And so Jesus is talking about that particular situation. But I know people have used this to promote pacifism. And that they should not go to war and they should not join the army and, and all those things. And, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. In fact, in Romans, we see the government was formulated by God to protect and care for. That militaries have been brought into the Old Testament and the New to protect people and their freedoms. And governments have been established. But Jesus is talking here about that personal insult. That person at work that gives you the jab. Or says things behind your back. To bring you away from what is right. Jesus is saying. Let them have the other cheek. Because you know what? In the end. They'll come to see who you really genuinely are. And what your belief is. Jesus then goes to the second episode. And he says. If anyone would sue you. And take your tunic. You see the tunic was the heaviest garment that you wear, and that when you went on trips, you didn't have motels with blankets. You just used that tunic to keep you covered and keep you warm. And some people would take that from people if they owed them some money or something, and they'd use that. And Jesus says, if they take your tunic, give them also the undergarment. Jesus is wanting to stress this whole idea of love. And the radical love that we have for other people. And that we show them. That we care more about them than our own private possessions. And that we give to them. Because we care for them. And that they are to restore that. When they come to understand that. And that we can don't own our possessions but God does. Then the third thing Jesus talks about, if anyone forces you to go to one mile, go two miles. This was a problem in their day. The Jews, in that Roman culture where the Roman soldiers were, if they had a backpack that needed to be carried a mile, the law said that anybody who is commanded by a soldier has to pick up that pack and carry it a mile. That's the law or you go to jail. And the Jews hated that. Most people would, because it's an inconvenience. It interrupts your life. 
It stops you along the road. And Jesus is saying here, not only do it one mile, but do it two. Show them how we're different than the world. When the boss says something to you at work, not only do what he asks you, but go beyond and do it better. So that you can show them that you're not working for them. You're working for the glory of God. And you're making a witness. How beautiful was the picture that Jesus showed that. The day of his trial. The soldiers brought him in. Six different trials. The soldiers were guarding him. Then he got the beatings. Got all that stuff happening to him. And yet, at the end, when he hung on the cross, one of those soldiers that was watching what Jesus reacted, he didn't act out of an angry passion. <laughs> he acts out of the affection of love. And what does that soldier hear him say? Father, forgive them. For they know what, what they do. And that soldier in Matthew 25. Truly. This was the son of God. He saw God truly act at the cross. This is tough stuff. And finally, Jesus says, if a person begs for you for some money. And you know that maybe they may not even be able to pay you back. Give to them. Help them out. If you can discern it's truly, truly necessity. You can help them out. I was called upon to do that last night. And one of the officers that I helped with this lady was so touched that I got this lady a, a room in the motel. Didn't have to. All the resources that they tried could not find her. And she was coming out of the emergency room. She had no place to stay. The homeless team couldn't bring her. And he called me. And I thought, Lord, I know this is an opportunity. To be a witness to this man. And to his supervisor what the heart of Jesus would do. It cost me a few dollars. And so, what is it worth if it affects three people for eternity? <laughs> it's not, the money's not important. It's the eternal value. So Jesus says to if they beg, borrow it. You see, God is at work. 
And he wants us to work the way he does. Not from our passions and anger, but from the affections of God, which is love, justice, righteousness. That's the way he wants us to work. And that we trust him as we go through this. In closing, I want to share with you a little story that I read that was so touching. John Jr. in this family of five, he had an older brother that was 10. John was seven and his other brother was five. Mom and dad had some strange thing happen to them about five or six months earlier. They started going to church and gave their lives to Christ. They began to set up a time after supper where they would read a children's devotional. Each one of the boys would take a chance at reading that devotional. John Jr. had this boy, though, at school that was just annoying, bullying him, tripping him, pushing him, and he sat right behind him in class. And so he would poke him. And that night, the Bible story came out of Romans, where it said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. They read the story and they kind of chuckled about it. And they prayed, and then John shared with his family how this boy was continuing to do that. And then the dad said, you know what? Let's feed him. The guy who's being nasty to me, to feed him? Yeah. He said, do you notice what kind of candies he likes? Yeah, he likes jelly beans. Mom had a bowl of jelly beans in little plastic baggies. And what they did is they filled up all those little baggies from that bowl of jelly beans. And the next day when John went to school, sure enough, first thing, the kid tripped him. Instead of getting up and yelling and screaming, he said, here. Gave him a bag of jelly beans. Got into class and he poked him twice. John turned around and said, here, bag of jelly beans. Right before lunch, he kind of pushed him. John pulled out a bag of jelly beans. After lunch, it didn't happen anymore. And in the middle of the day, John turned around and said, here, here's another bag of jelly beans. And from that day on, they become best friends because they honored what the Lord had said and built a bridge to a very annoying person and talked about how Jesus told them to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, some of the situations that we deal with are tough. Lord, sometimes it calls from within inside of our hearts revenge, anger, frustration.
But I ask you, Christ, that you will help us and fill us with the Holy Spirit so that when we're called to make a difference and step up in those events where evil is taking place, we can do it in our affection for the truth and our affection of love for those people who are even our enemies and that we can truly show Christ's love and that we can stand tall for the truth because we know that's the only thing that sets men free. I pray for these brothers and sisters who live in this very real world, very hurtful world, very hateful world, and that, Lord, we can be the catalyst of changing the hearts of men and women around us to see the glory in you, Jesus Christ, and the salvation they so much need. And it's in your name I pray this, Christ. Amen. Let's rise and let's sing and receive our benediction. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you now and forever. Amen. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to run. Learn to try.